Welcome to Ask the Therapist, a podcast for everyone who's fascinated about how our minds work, mental health and all things therapy. Ask the Therapist is hosted by me, Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse, cognitive behavioural therapist and author of the CBT Journal. I've over 20 years experience of working in the field of mental health and I hope to educate, entertain and simplify all things mental health and therapy. So sit back and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. My name's Sarah Rees and today I'm interviewing Nikki Clifford. Nikki came into the limelight in September 2013 when she tragically lost her son in a road traffic accident. Following this, she shared her journey and her experience on the BAFTA-nominated show and documentary, The Prosecutors. The Prosecutors is still available on iPlayer, ready to download, and it's well worth a watch. Nikki then went on to train as a grief recovery specialist using the grief recovery model and she's helped many hundreds of people on their journey through loss and grief, sharing her experiences, educating, demystifying the journey of grief and helping people work towards recovery. Today, Nikki is the host of Northwich Radio Station. She's got a couple of shows on there. She has a rock show and rocks it out weekly. And she does Monday mornings, Coffee with Clifford. In the month of September, when this podcast goes out, so that's September 2019, Nikki's shows will be themed with health and well-being. So do tune in and give us some support and love. We hope you enjoy the episode and if you've got any comments or feedback, I'd love to hear it and I'll share everything with Nikki. So just drop us a comment on Twitter or on Facebook. I'll put the links in the show notes. And if you want to be kept up to date with Ask the Therapist, just hit the subscribe button. So sit back with your coffee and I hope you enjoy. Take care. So welcome to the podcast, Nikki. Could you first introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your journey? I'd love to. Thank you so much for inviting me on as a therapist. Pleasure. Um, I have been on a journey. It's true. Where to start? Um, I've had some life-changing experiences happen Mm. to me. So I'm, I'm going to take us back to 2013, actually. And I had just moved in with my now husband Mm. and uh, moved to a a house in Sandbach from Wilmsley, which is where I'm from. And life was brilliant. Everything seemed to come together for me. All all the stars aligned, if you like. Um, I got uh, moved in with Nick, my husband, and the, the children, our children. I had three boys and Nick had two or has two children as well. And the summer of 2013 was, for me, all my dreams come true. Mm. Uh, I'd been through so much before with the breakdown of my first marriage and having to regroup and move home and lots of things had happened, but nothing quite prepared me for what was to happen in the September of 2013. So... I was doing the school run, actually, from Sandbach to Wilmslow. And part of that journey meant that I had to go along the A34 Mm. at Alderley Edge. And unfortunately, during that school run, a car came on my side of the road, hit my car head on, and my son died. Uh, he, He died instantly there there was absolutely nothing I could do about it it was so unexpected Mm. such a shock and it changed everything everything that had gone before everything that I knew about grief and loss would it for me it just shifted to a whole Mm. new level and when I found myself a bereaved mom actually yeah it's you just it's just a unimaginable isn't it that that pain and suffering and and not something many people can talk about either so it's it's so good that you can and share your experience and I think it'll be so helpful for many many I hope so I really do everything that I'd heard about bereaved parents Mm. had it, it was scary when it happened to me all that had gone before were scare stories to yes. me. Um, I think in the media, particularly bereaved mums, 
it's not portrayed in a positive light. No. Not that there is a... It is very sad and it is what it is, but I thought I was going to go mad. I thought mm. I, there's characters who take other people's children or there were no positive role models that I could think of when that happened to me. And yeah. I remember when we first met, you said that it's, it's, you were told it's like it's a death sentence for you almost. It's your life is over from this moment over. There's no recovery. This is it. Mm. And that's, that's the only kind of stuff you had. And, and I remember you saying in the name of your son, you wanted his legacy to be happiness and life. And, and the, you know, that's such an amazing, inspiring way to look at it. And I've actually used that for clients that I've worked with that have have lost children I'm so pleased I'm so pleased because talking about it really has helped me Mm. um and indeed when it first happened there was the bereavement feelings but Mm. what I was diagnosed with was complex grief which I'm I'm not a psychologist Mm. I'm not a counsellor but through talking with psychologists Mm. it transpired that yes I had bereavement I was bereaved and grief but also I had a diagnosis of PTSD yes from the accident yes was there much support in the first few weeks or months you know the the support was absolutely phenomenal. Oh, that's so good. To hear. Um, as I say, I'd moved. I'd just moved to Sandbach. We'd only been here six weeks, so I wasn't even signed on with a GP. Yeah. But my my family contacted the GP, mm. and the GP came to my home oh. in those initial days just to check up on me physically first of all I did have some injuries Mm -hmm. they weren't terrible injuries to myself and and that was part of the shock actually was being in a car collision so devastating to Mm -hmm. my youngest son Flynn actually me and Dylan who were in the front we were relatively unharmed yet the car hit you head on yeah the car had hit us head on but thankfully, the way cars are made, they're, yeah. they're designed to absorb shock and impact. So whilst Dylan and I were um, fairly unharmed in the front, unfortunately in the back, didn't have a, um airbag. So, so that, that um, was the, the major cause of his trauma. But um, being in the car and with it being so sudden, the shock, I think... My, my whole body just went numb. Mm. I, I couldn't take on board what had happened uh, because it was so sudden. So, yes, they uh, the, the GPs were fabulous in mm. checking me over physically, but when uh, we talked about having counselling, the GP's advice was to leave it several weeks because yes. what I was feeling at that time was natural and normal. It mm. is a shock and it is grief and I was feeling everything I was supposed to yeah um, yes. so I didn't actually embark on counselling until a few that, weeks that's after. called something called watchful waiting where they say because it's the brain doing its natural thing that it is so overwhelming your brain is protective of you so it drips the grief down so uh, some people go through a period of what's called watchful waiting before services are are offered but some people I think now they kind of think that some people need to talk and if you need to talk kind of encourage that and if you don't just go with whatever the person wants mm. really. Mm. At the time I, I remember being at home and, and feeling that absolute need to talk about what had happened yes. first of all to family and friends mm. and then when I did start the counselling. Do which, you remember booking your first session or arranging that? It was a unique experience to me, I think, because of the nature Mm. of how I became bereaved. It was a shock, not just to me, but to my community. Yes. Because what I'd experienced could happen to anybody. Yeah. Mm. It wasn't like I was in a war zone Mm. where I've got PTSD through, you know, being in a battlefield far away. This, This circumstance that led me to having this PTSD literally could happen to anybody at any time it was the the everyday yeah and that was part of the shock I think and do you remember what the first session was like 
So yeah, the talking, I, I went along and the, the counsellor, she was very sympathetic, but she spoke to me about the five stages of grief. Mm-hmm. Now, since that very first session, I've found out a lot more about grief. Yes. I've done some training myself and, and educated myself about grief because when she said about the five stages of grief and um, anger being one of them, I had never felt angry. I mm. had felt compassion to the other driver. Mm. I had felt absolute loss and, and lo- a full spectrum of emotions, but I'd never felt anger and so I thought I wasn't grieving properly. So not only was the PTSD kind of a shock in the way it happened, so was that you weren't fitting the boxes for the grieving. Absolutely, I didn't <gasps> Not fit. doing it right. <laughs> yeah, and you spoke earlier about my positive outlook mm. on the circumstances that I was in, and I, I couldn't relate to other bereaved mums that I was reading in support groups and... I, I felt that I wanted to celebrate my son immediately mm. and to talk about in a positive way everything that my son mm. is because to me I still have a relationship with him. It's very different. Yes. But I'd really um, cottoned on to what I have got and not what I've lost, yeah. which wasn't something that other people were talking about. And indeed, when I had the counselling and she spoke about the the stages of grief and the anger being one of them, not only did I feel that I wasn't grieving properly, but I felt very isolated because I couldn't relate to what other people... Was um, there a lot of anger out there? Yes. Yes. Again, with the nature of the collision, a lot of anger was put towards the other driver, Mm. which, to me, he hadn't set out that morning... To no, do... it was an accident, wasn't it? It was just an accident. That could have been any of us. Yeah, yeah. yeah but abs- people really wanted to direct that blame. Yeah. So you feel you're in the eye of the storm, mm. I think. It's very brave to hold your stance in that as well and not not like go down that path. What happened was unique to me. Yeah. And even though I met other people who had lost children... Their circumstances were unique to them as well. And that was something that I didn't know about at the time. Mm. I thought bereavement had an umbrella over it and we were were all kind of going to feel the same things or have the same responses. And and what I discovered is you absolutely don't. Mm. Everybody's response is different. Everybody's relationships are different. So my relationship with Flynn was very different to my mum's relationship with Flynn. And in actual fact, she felt like she had experienced a double bereavement because not only had she lost her grandson, Mm. but she was bereaved for me as her daughter. It changed everybody's life. Mm. But absolutely, talking about what I was going through really helped me. And one of the things that happened, it was some weeks later, because of the nature of the collision, it had to go to a Crown Court Mm. to find out why the driver was on the wrong side of the road. It was a driving offence. And the BBC contacted me to find out if if I would be interested in contributing to a film that they were making, which was about the CPS, which Mm. is the Crown Prosecution Service. And to cut the long story short, we made, myself and, and the BBC, with a production company called Gold Star Productions, made a documentary called The Prosecutors. Mm. And during the filming of that, which their their primary aim was to explore the CPS and the work that the Crown Prosecution Service do, but what actually transpired throughout the film was it was very much a story about Mm. humans, about just, I'm just an ordinary, everyday person in an extraordinary circumstance. Mm. And that was really the first time that I'd felt able to talk the counseling in the beginning I I appreciated that it was there but in that first few weeks I was so numb I couldn't gather my thoughts I couldn't the memories weren't quite there I was still kind of 
thrilling. Together. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But over the following months, talking to the BBC girls mm. who have become my friends, Aww, I yeah. think that happens when you share. Gosh, absolutely, that connection, yeah. People yeah. connect with you, absolutely. That really did help me. And, mm. and having the hope that what I was going through and talking about what I was going through was going to help other people really inspired so that me. was your passion was it and your motivation for doing that and so that really became good. my thing right. that became my thing my little next step mm. through this awful circumstance was the, the making the documentary and mm. it, it it transpired actually that the film is one that I'm so proud mm. of it is available on the iPlayer if I'll any... link to it oh, as well thank you. so that people can watch that and I'd recommend everybody to watch it it's a phenomenal, you did a phenomenal job on that. Thank you. all you. did. It's just so honest and inspiring and authentic as well. And, and talking about stuff that so many people find it so hard to talk about as well. And I think you really got that across, you know, that you wanted to move forward and your compassion for the driver as well, which I think even if somebody sat with a lot of anger, at least they can maybe consider another viewpoint. Because my view is that anger's like a hot stone. It just hurts the person holding it. So, you know, that's just carrying on the trauma, isn't it? Nobody's moving forward, but there are other ways. And I think you've shown that, haven't you? What I wanted to achieve through mm. making the film was to be that beacon yeah. To be that bereaved mom that I'm not going to say, people have told me that I'll never get over it. And that terrified me. What I found is more helpful is to think that I'll never forget my son. Mm. My relationship with him still continues. Yeah. He's still very much influencing me now. It's very different, but my relationship still continues as it does with, you know, all the members of my family. We talk about Flynn and... I think that's important that, yes, nobody wants to be in my shoes. Mm. I couldn't believe it when it happened to me, mm. but it did happen. Yes. And yeah. I want to show people that there is a life after bereavement, whether it's the death of your son, your husband, you know, your, your mom or, or your yeah. best friend. If you are bereaved, it's not the end it's yes. it's not you know game over the, mm. there is life to be found after that and a continued relationship mm. i believe with the people who we've lost yeah it's so important isn't it because that's the thing that so many people see it as the end the end of their life you know and i wouldn't if something happened to me i wouldn't want that to end the lives of people who love me as well and they live a life of memory that's not what I'd want to leave behind I'd want everybody to live a little bit more for me which you know I think you're doing aren't you some of some of the things it's interesting people would say well they wouldn't want you to be unhappy or mm. because it, it is an absolute roller coaster yeah I'm not going to make any bones about it bereavement and grief mm. is just ups and downs it's yeah. sometimes getting through the next five minutes mm -hmm. and then you might have an hour where you feel really happy and then feel guilty yes it's yes. complex yes absolutely as you know I lost my dad in a car accident as well so I you know, I was 13 at the time so I've kind of been there in a different with a different relationship but can totally relate to what you've been through with your therapy there was a point where you had emdr therapy i did that was a pivotal moment for me mm. so yes the counseling was great yeah and i did go on and continue with the sessions for about a year mm. it, and they were they were fantastic the nhs are just brilliant it was on the nhs and mm. i can't talk highly enough about talking fantastic. therapy God. but i felt that i was Talking and talking and talking, but my experiences of PTSD were very real and weren't getting any easier. So were you having flashbacks and nightmares? Or... No. So it came out with the talking therapy yeah. that I, I may benefit from CBT. Mm. So I had a, a consultation with a CBT therapist and she asked me that very same question. Mm. Do I have flashbacks? Do I, you know, have feelings and and 
responses when I think about the collision. And the truth of it was that, no, I didn't. Mm. The actual collision wasn't something that was in the forefront of my mind. However, living my day-to-day life, it felt like I was in an emotional battlefield. For instance, I'd be at the shops Mm. and see carrots and just be completely overwhelmed by the carrots. I'd have a very physical response. And I was with my husband, Nick, the first time that it happened. And I just cried and said, I just need to get out of the shop. Mm. And I was so shocked that it just come out of nowhere. Right. Why on earth was I having this response to food? Mm. And it happened with dried apricots. It happened with places, seeing things. Um, So it was completely almost separate to your logical mind that your body was having these emotional volcanoes, it sounds like. Yeah, it was was getting, you know, hit from the side. And my PTSD was connected with the everyday but right. without Flynn. Yes, that makes a lot so of sense. So the yeah. carrots were one of Flynn's favourite foods. Right. The apricots, the mm. um, seeing school uniforms, school mm. bags, things you, you just wouldn't believe could have such an emotional response in me. So they were the what we'd call the matching triggers that would, were triggering the grief all the time. Yeah. Completely out of your control. Yeah. But so powerful, isn't it? Yeah. It yeah. was... It, I think that's a really interesting point. I couldn't understand it because, again, if you talk to somebody and said, well, I have an emotional response to carrots, Mm. it doesn't make any sense. Mm. But to me, it was very real. And so I isolated myself. Mm. I stopped going out. I um, stopped seeing friends because I didn't know where the The next bolt was coming from. And that's very common in PTSD, that you make your world very small to keep yourself safe because it's it's completely out of your control. Oh, isn't it? Terrifying. Yes. So again, this came out with the counselling and the the, um, Mm. CBT wasn't quite right for me, Mm. but the CBT therapist recommended that I try EMDR and she didn't know anything about it. She was quite open about it and she did explain to me that it was a light therapy. Mm. What did you think when you first heard about that? Because I remember thinking I was trained in it many years ago and I thought initially I found it quite hard to sell when you first heard that you were going to do eye movements and a light therapy, what did you think? I was a very different person at that right. time. I was completely traumatised. Yes. Everything had changed for me. I didn't really know who I was because yeah. I hadn't formed a new life yet because mm. I'd been isolating myself and, and scrabbling, really. Mm. You know, I felt like I was falling down the hill and I was trying to grab onto anything. So the fact that somebody had... A therapy that they thought might help me. Yeah. I I said right. I will try anything. I will try yeah. anything. So the EMDR, I didn't know much about it mm. at all. But I was a, I was very I was an open book. Yeah. So I remember going along for my first session, and when I saw the therapist, he was a lo- he was lovely. Yeah. But my first impression of him was, you don't look how I thought you would look. Right. I just just didn't feel sure at all. Which is tricky, isn't it, if you want to really... Because you want to really connect with your therapist. But that was just my initial... Yeah. But what I did was just... I suppose it's an an internal dialogue that I Mm. had with myself, was I don't want to do this, but Nikki, you just can't... You need to do something. Yeah. Where's that little baby step? Where are you going next? And I didn't want to stay where oh, I was. Wow. Yeah. So yes, the first session of EMDR, but it was fabulous. I didn't have to do very much in the first session. It was more of an explanatory session, which was really good for mm. just um, in terms of settling my nerves. Yeah. Explaining to me what was going to happen and. Part of the first session was explaining how the mind works, Mm. which I didn't understand. Yeah, that's so powerful, isn't it? Because we can think we're going absolutely crazy, but PTSD is you, a lot of it is your brain can't make sense of what's going on. It can't process the emotional experience or the, the visual experience of what you've been through. So, yeah, your brain is 
trying to do its thing it's just really really struggling and when we understand how our brain works we can go okay we know what's going on awareness creates control and then you can move forward can't you you can take away that shame element it's, it's interesting because i will talk in layman's terms because yeah. i'm not a trained therapist at all but my the, the easiest yeah. way i understood it was that i have a primitive brain yes and i i in my imagination my yeah. primitive brain is like a little furry hamster type creature yes. that's very shy very skittish and just responds yeah just sees feels yeah. something see something and just responds yeah. and sends out all my protection soldiers yes without asking why without reason just yes. completely responds spontaneously mm. and after that first session i i came to an understanding that it's my primitive brain that is yes. making the reaction to carrots and it, yes. it's seeing something that it's worried about and protecting me by sending out adrenaline. Of course, in in my own thoughts, in, in my kind of reasoned mind, I know carrots aren't going to hurt me, mm. but the primitive brain does it's not attach to logic. That's the problem. It's, it's about your survival. All it will do is focus on your survival. You've been through something so dangerous that it's it's triggering you yeah. whenever it comes up. So it's a really good explanation of it. Yeah. Yes. But once I understood yes. that, then that brought confidence that it's not me. Mm. It's not me being weak. People would say to you when you're bereaved, you have to be strong. Mm. And I, I just couldn't be strong. Yeah. I couldn't help the feelings that were happening to me. And it, it wasn't my fault. It was mm. my poor primitive brain that yes. <laughs> yes. was trying its best yeah. to look after me, yes. but was actually inhibiting me mm. from living a full life. So once I had that level of understanding, I believe they call it crossing a paradigm. Yeah, you, I think it's powerful to say that you realise it was not your fault. This is your brain. This is how our brains work. They're tricky things and we're struggling to navigate them, especially in the world that we live in now. So absolutely, you you saw that this is just how your mind works. Yeah. And so, yes, I, so I was led through mm. around, I think it was nine sessions of EMDR where I went weekly. Yeah. And the session was a combination of talking mm. with the therapist about my past, yeah. talking about the collision and mm. what feelings I had. And it was in alignment with relaxation. Mm. A large part of the therapy session was relaxation and me meditation yeah. techniques. Right. And that's sometimes to settle down that kind of primitive part of our mind so that we can explore trauma. Because if you get too heightened in a session, you can't process it. So it's getting that balance between working with the trauma and kind of keeping calm. It's an important balance to get. Yeah, we, mm. use, we use visualisation yes. as well. And safe place, did you do some of that work? We did, we did different place. exercises yeah. that, that did help me. And it was funny, really, because it, it transpired that the collision was one thing, mm. but the traumas that I'd had previously, and trauma, it, it, I always thought that trauma was like a big thing, like a car collision, like a, a death or something like that but actually there, there are different traumas yes. and maybe having an argument with a friend at school mm. and that was unresolved loss of a friendship it something came up in the sessions and it was to do with a disappointment around a birthday gift mm. and we did a lot of work around my disappointment yeah about the birthday gift just working on we don't compare I don't compare losses but no, no. when I was nine yeah. and I, I, was, I received a gift that really <laughs> disappointed me and upset me that was still in there and that came out and it was very powerful when it did it's amazing because as you say that I remember I got etch-a-sketch instead of spirograph well the difference bit. is phenomenal <laughs> I mean, it is phenomenal isn't it but you know I, that's um I remember that yeah <laughs> you know so when you're nine that's a big deal yes it's a yes. huge deal and it there was a connection mm. with some of the things that were triggering me so what happens 
is you have trauma layers. So that was kind of a very early kind of disappointment memory. So sometimes in trauma therapy, we work with things that you wouldn't consider as traumas, but they lay the foundation for other disappointments in your life. You start at the bottom and then you unravel it. And and that's sometimes another way to work. So you don't have to work with the the huge thing first. You can work with things that sometimes people don't realise are kind of traumas in the life. It's amazing the people I see in therapy and um, I'll say, any traumas in your life? And they'll say no. And then as we unpick all the, I'll say, that is a traumatic incident. Mm. But it becomes people's normal. I don't I don't think people talk about their traumas, do they? No, uh, no. And lots of us, when we are feeling upset and, and mm. um you know, not in the happiest of moods. People are saying, how are you? And we just say, I'm fine. Yeah. You know, we, we don't say, actually, I'm not that great today and give yeah. people the opportunity of saying, I'm so sorry to hear that and actually just have a little conversation have about it. Have you ever it. tried saying more than just I'm fine? I've done that for a while and say, oh, I'm feeling like this and it throws people, doesn't it? It but can it... do. So what, I, what I've learned to do is just to share 10%. So if yes. I'm feeling really quite overwhelmed mm. and just say it's 10 out of 10 in my, yeah. my sadness, <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll say I'm not that great today. I'm feeling a bit emotional. Mm. And I always put a hum- humour spin on things. I don't know if that's my, my way of coping Deflecting with things. With it yeah, bit. but I do feel better when I say I'm just not that great today. You know, mm. it's one of those days. Even something like that actually just gives a little 10%. And it increases that connection. People can connect with you more and then maybe watch out for you or soften how they are with you. And even though that might be small, that might be enough to help you feel more supported. Definitely. Since I have decided to start sharing, because I, mm. before I had my EMDR, I didn't understand what was happening to me. It frightened me. Yeah. PTSD symptoms were terrifying. And so I was faking it, faking mm. it to make it. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Mm. You know, it, it, it just not understanding something is so damaging. And, yeah. and this is part of the reason why I'm so happy to be on as a therapist. Yes, yeah, absolutely, because people will listen to this and they will relate to your story and we need it out there, don't we? That this is treatable, we can work through this, but you first have to understand that our brain's really complex and it can be absolutely terrifying, but there are ways to kind of settle that down. There were definite techniques that I did during the sessions mm. that, that use meditation, and visualization so I was aware that my mind was being I was in a very relaxed state Mm. of being but then using the visualization so uh, one of the techniques that I did was to imagine a, a scene on the wall in front of me and I did that so it was a red duvet was right I said it now it was a red duvet yeah and that that had and attached lots of emotions around mm. the red duvet. So I visualised the red duvet yeah. on the wall. Yeah. And then over the top of that picture that I yes. painted, I put one of my favourite things that are red. So mm. I've imagined red lipstick yeah. over the top, if you like. And yeah. then we, we did a, a series of little exercises around the two pictures of merging the pictures together so instead of the red duvet triggering your primal part of your your old part of your brain you conditioned it to have a more positive kind of because alongside the lipstick Mm. which is my favorite thing yeah i'd made a new memory right there in that room which was just enough for my mind my little primitive mind to go oh red duvet oh Mm. hang on a minute red lipstick and that emotion together created yeah. just enough, I think, so that the, my primitive didn't send out adrenaline and panic and the soldiers to protect you. And the soldiers <laughs> to protect me. It was kind of like, oh, this is new. Yeah. I've never thought of 
a red duvet with my favourite thing before. Yes, yeah. It, it sounds bonkers. When you, it's you, called rescripting, oh, so right. it's an absolute technique that you use kind of rescripting memories and, and it images from scary ones to ones that are more neutral so that you don't get that huge response to it. It absolutely worked for mm. me. So the, the, the light therapy part yeah. of it, for me, that there was a, a, a light bar yes. in front of me on a stand and the light ran from left to right left to right like a a chasing light and I was asked by my therapist to follow the light moving from left to right Mm. with my eyes whilst doing the visualization yeah and the light bar with the flickering of my eyes from left to right Mm. replicated and I'm understanding this right the 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 sleep Yes, REM. REM sleep. So when we are doing REM sleep during the night, we are dreaming and processing information. And what they found is if you can do that during the day with memories, it, it settles it down. When we're in a traumatic situation, our brain is so filled with cortisol, it, it can't process the memory, so it gets stuck. So when you think about the memory in a safe environment, when you're reasonably calm and do your eye movements left to right, it settles down the intensity of images, memories, experiences and emotions sometimes. So sometimes people, it's too scary to think about the memory or the traumatic event. So I'll just go with what's ever going on in the room and with emotions and we'll do kind of softer memories until we can work on on the more difficult thing. But it's so powerful. When I was trained in EMDR, which I was because it it came into the NICE guidelines um, in the NHS, so the National Institute of Clinical Excellence recommended it, saw it as a powerful and evidence-based research for PTSD. So I was like, oh, well, I'll get trained in this. I like working with trauma. And I thought, what a load of nonsense. <laughs> what? And we actually had it done on ourselves, brought on very softer images and memories. So I still wasn't sure, but I literally put that into the clinic room and just it has blown me away, yeah. the impact. That it has on people and the approach that you went into it with is exactly the right approach that you're just open-minded try anything just go with it trust the therapist knows you know what they're doing yeah, and... I absolutely trusted him my initial meeting yes, of yeah. him I'm so glad that I went back I guess I wasn't trusting myself at that time. Mm. So I, I was more inclined to go back and, and see and, and and go with it, if yes. you like. So, yeah. yes, very much I was an open book in that regard. People do well when they go with it. Mm. But, um, yes, so over the nine sessions, some of the exercises I didn't quite understand. The visualisation, I had to fly on a magic carpet. Right. And go <laughs> go down a path on my magic carpet. But then I went back and revisited uh, my old self. Oh, wow. How was that? Very um, emotional. Like I said um, yeah. just earlier that I had, I had been through some experiences before my bereavement in 2013. And I thought that, it, you know, it's all, everything was in little boxes. Everything that I thought about my past was all in the boxes and it was there but I did learn that you need to patrol the boxes energy wise to make sure that they're all in there and it's much better actually if you unpack the boxes Mm. in a safe environment and and look at them yeah and, and work through the emotions around that so that's what I did and I my my dad actually died when I was a baby and one of the things that we did was to, I went back and met my dad which was wonderful yes and I just went with it in a visualization yeah. obviously yeah. so really open to it really it? open to it and it was quite wonderful mm-hmm. to experience meeting my dad and getting a chance in in the the session to say what mm. the things that I'd always wanted to say. So obviously I can't meet my dad, mm. but saying them out loud and being heard by it's the perfect. therapist was the next best thing. And yeah. the release of energy that I'd just been pushing down all those years, it came out and when I'd had the the final session of the EMDR, I was I was a different person, Sarah. Really? Yeah. 
Mm. I was a different in in a good way. Yeah. In a um, and it's sustained as well. Yeah. That's what some people worry about, especially with EMDR, because it can be so quick. That will this kind of last as well? Is it solid? The change and it was kind of. It was. It, was it too good to believe? Mm. You know, that was all in my mind. Was why isn't everybody who has trauma? Yes. Why why isn't everybody doing this? Why why don't mm. more people know about this therapy? That you, as you said earlier, it's it's not for everybody. I I do have a very open mind towards meditation, for example. Yes. Yeah. I think I've had to to manage my own energies. Yes, yeah. Um, and that's what it's been about for me, is managing mm. energies. And during the EMDR, so much energy was released mm. that I had, I was lighter. Yes, that's the, people often say that. Yeah, they feel almost like the energies or emotions come up through them it kind of just pops almost or they have kind of a a real spike of energy in the session and emotion and then it just settles yeah so they've uh, you've absolutely processed yeah so it is it addressed past Mm. issues yeah with the visualization it calmed down Mm. the the issues around the death of my son Mm. and the the issues i had about the everyday so that calmed mm. down. And I found that when I was out, it wasn't that I noticed, oh, I feel amazing. I'm, no. It wasn't that. I felt normal again. I Gosh. felt like it was the closest that I felt to the old me. Mm. It kind of joined up the old me. So you can continue the healing process. Absolutely, yeah. yes. And in terms of my relationship with Flynn... What I learned in the EMDR, mm. I wasn't afraid of those memories. I wasn't afraid because before the EMDR, because I hadn't understood how my mind was working and how bereavement works, I've been quite afraid to think about Flynn mm. and to go there. And I actually started meditating. And in my meditations, I would actively visualise going to be with Flynn. Mm. And and that that was just amazing it was so positive so he was able to be part of your healing yes yeah because he he may not physically be here Mm. i may not be able to create new memories Mm. but he's he's inside my me and my my you know memories and and that i do i can have ownership over it was it was really interesting that once once i'd started meditating and enjoying being with flynn Mm. in my mind so many other memories came. So when I was first bereaved, I spoke about the the numbness. And part of that was not really being able to remember Flynn. I had a handful of of images of him. That's terrifying, isn't it? It could be really terrifying. Yeah, Yeah. I think I literally put the blockers down. But through me proactively Mm. thinking about him, and especially in, in that relaxed yeah, state yeah. of mind in meditation. It was like my mind said, "Oh, she can mm. handle it now." So yes. we'll we'll release a few more memories, yeah. and so many more memories came back. And that's so lovely. It's, I would do a lot of work with people that have lost people in a traumatic way, maybe through cancer, and the, and the last memory of them is really difficult. You know, they might not look like themselves, or you know, just their relationship was really different in the last weeks days or or months and what is so beautiful is that when we work on that that they then remember how they were they remember the person how they the person would have wanted to be remembered not in those last days or hours but the you know the whole of them that it releases those memories back yeah that and that I just think is such important work well it's a gift it is yeah to have a therapy that enables mm. you to reclaim the whole of the relationship and not to, to focus on the end yes of yeah. a relationship it, it's an absolute gift yeah it's, it's such a powerful and i'll link to i have written a blog recently about emdr the founder of emdr recently francine um i can never pronounce her surname sharapora i think um i'll link it the blog she's just recently passed away so 
there's um, a, a lot more about EMDR being talked about now. And, you know, so like you say, it's you can get it on the NHS as well. It is available. So more and more therapists are training up in this therapy because it's so powerful, isn't it? And hopefully I think it's going to get more and more popular as people like yourself talk about it. So can you tell us a bit about where you are now in your life? So having the EMDR... Yes. I've, I've I've mentioned many times during mm. our chat about change. Yeah. And the one thing in life that is inevitable is change. We're constantly mm. changing. And it's having the EMDR changed me again. Yeah. And it gave me back a confidence mm. and a renewed feeling that I, I have something to share with people. So I did some training in grief recovery. So I'm a certified grief recovery specialist. I'm, I'm really proud yes. of that because the grief recovery specialists, they are all about education mm. and educating people about grief and about recovery. So yes. the first thing is to understand what grief is, what those feelings might look like, and also how society treats people who are grieving. Mm. It's, it's one of the things that I found most interesting are the things that people say to you when mm. you are bereaved. Or it's, don't say. Or <laughs> don't say. Yeah. Yes. So I've done the training and I deliver educational classes now, which makes me feel very proud. Absolutely. And it also gave me the courage to talk about, even more, <laughs> um, about my experience. Yeah. So I went on a radio station, Radio Northwich, as a, a guest mm. to, to talk about my experiences. And they they were very interested in the fact that I love rock music. Right. And I start, you know, I started going out again and going to concerts and yeah. it really did give me my life back. Yeah. And so I'm now a Radio Northwich presenter. Wow, it's fantastic. I've heard some of your shows and they're so uplifting and everything you do on social media. It's, and do you enjoy that? I absolutely love it. Yeah. And where, wherever I can, I do try and reach out to people who mm. are newly bereaved mm. or maybe just at home anxious, worried about the changes mm. that are happening in their life. It could be through a loss of hopes and dreams or yeah. a change in expectation or any kind of disappointment, especially with children as well. Mm. Because as you said, Sarah, you, you lost your father when yeah. you were a kid and these feelings affect anybody at any age. Yeah, and people said, I found didn't know how to talk to me. It wasn't, life just carried on. No, teachers... Just, yeah, nobody. I mean, I think it's very different now the days, but like this huge thing happened and nobody asked or said or talked about it. Yeah, it's not it's uncommon, actually. Really? Even yeah. now? Even now. Gosh, I yeah. think television perpetuates this myth. Do you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I remember walking into the room and you're like, just just the atmosphere dropping because you're the one where your dad's just died. You know, so the most unpopular party pooper there is. It's just... And you're completely isolated with all those emotions, aren't you? Not knowing, like you, what the hell is happening. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's very difficult. So being on, on the radio, and I, I hope, as mm. I did with the documentary, to be a beacon, a, a kind of, yes. well, you know, if, if Nikki can do it, and I'm just yeah. a normal, ordinary, everyday person, mm. you know, I've worked in primary schools, I'm a teaching assistant, yeah. but if, if Nikki can be a bereaved mom mm. and be talking about her son in a positive light, yes. and not just about the end... Yeah. It isn't just about the end. It's about their whole life, their yes. whole um, relationship. Mm. And I'm playing rock music. Yes. Who ever heard? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Who knew, you know? 
But yeah. when I was first bereaved, I thought that was it. Well, yeah. no, it's not. You can you can yeah. go on and you can celebrate mm. the people that you care about, your special people who you can't see, but you can feel. Yeah. You can celebrate them every day. Yeah, that's amazing. Is there anything you do in your day-to-day now to maintain your mental health? Is there anything practically you do? Yeah, definitely. Mm. So the best way I can yeah. describe it is it's like, you know, when you look at a graphic equaliser yeah. on, a, on yes. a music system where yeah. you've got the bass, and you've got all the the sliders and you can yeah. you can tune in my emotions are like that there's lots of emotions in me all at the same time mm. the sadness and and the mm. grief and the bereavement channel if you like yeah. it's there all the time yes. i'm not going to say it isn't but it doesn't dominate all mm. the time my happiness channel is there my my channel for feeling proud my channel for creativity my channel for so all the different parts of you have a place and are occupying a space yeah at the same time but one of them may be more dominant than another Mm. so absolutely certain times of the day or I'm not even going to say it's on special anniversaries or at Christmas Mm. because it can happen out of the blue completely out of the blue can I ask you to give yourself time for the grief do you kind of allow yourself to feel it because I think there can be a temptation to really want to shut it away and now I mean a couple of years ago I lost my little dog I, I was absolutely heartbroken and I was very aware of kind of knowing that I had to sit with the grief a little bit and experience it but then get on with my day to day and you know do all the other bits but mm. giving it space and do you still give your grief I do so when I'm feeling um, overwhelmed yes. by the bereavement I definitely meditate yeah. the things that I learned about how the mind works yeah taking time out to meditate and just to be it's like keeping our minds healthy. It's like taking your mind to the gym and it helps with emotional regulation and stability. Helps you feel emotions, but in a much more productive way. So yeah. it's, uh, that's, I, I've, I'm not a hippie, trippy meditator, but when I've learned about meditation and what it does for our minds and our well-being, I meditate, you know, not every day, but I say about five days a week. It's about, it's such an important part of my practice. You, you know, if you want a healthy mind, and to experience everything and psychologically take your mind to the gym every now and again just as we look after our physical well-being Mm. we have to meditate even if it's 10 minutes a day yeah and being honest yeah so if nick says how are you i'll say i'm overwhelmed yeah and i don't boil down the tears i used to go to the bathroom and cry on my Mm. own and then come back down see the family and i'm fine you know because I, I was worried about upsetting them. Mm. But the truth of the matter is people know. Yeah. It's not just what you say. And I think it also gives permission for other people to not be okay as well, doesn't it? If absolutely. You're managing it, absolutely wonderful. But that's, you know, we all have this social mask of I'm fine. And I think that's damaging for people as well. Yeah. Being, being honest not. with my family yeah. and saying I'm finding it tough at the moment. Yeah is a relief to them because you're being honest with them people know they can tell by the fact that you're turning down party invitations the fact that you're not maybe putting your makeup on or Mm. my thing is i just can't be bothered with cooking it's you know Mm. little things that that people know of course they do and it's so it's it's as you say, it just gives so you other... think you're getting away with it, but you're not. You're not. You're just not having that connection. You're not getting that support. Absolutely. That you and you know what? When you are honest, nothing bad happens. Mm. The bad thing has happened. Yes. And nothing can be worse than that. Mm. And sharing, actually, this is how I'm feeling, mm. helps. It, it's, it releases yes. that, that yes. energy out. Because there's nothing worse, is there, than knowing that you're about to cry but stuffing it back down. No, it's so damaging. For and putting your smiley face yeah. on. So if somebody was going considering therapy, there might be people listening to this that kind of think, right, I need to go and get some help or might be interested in looking more about EMDR. What would you advise them? Would you, yeah. Is there any advice you could give somebody thinking, oh, maybe I might consider therapy now? I, I love therapy. 
I do think you? I do as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a bit biased, but I do have my own therapy as well. I'm talking about myself. I love it now. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I love therapy, yeah. and I don't think necessarily that you should wait for the wheel to come off. No, before no. you yeah. would think about going to see a counsellor or a, a life coach, or mm. or just get into that good practice of sharing honestly with you, with your family, with your friends, yeah, and. and talking so yeah I'd love to go for little top-up sessions and Mm. and just kind of check in so firstly I'd say there there isn't um it's not a stigma anymore to Mm. say I'm in counseling it's a very positive way of owning the things that happen to you you can't help what happens to you Mm. but you can manage your response to it and I would absolutely recommend going and finding out Mm. about there's so many different therapies it might be really is yeah and you can just phone somebody up have a chat with a few people you'll you know from their websites the way they express themselves on social media and through having a quick conversation with the therapist you can find somebody you connect with and just go along for one session as well there's no commitment I sometimes get people that just come say I'm not sure what I want help with I want to just kind of sit through this process and they might come back in a year's time they might not and sometimes people are just coming to find out a bit more about their mind and how it works now I didn't find the right therapy for me first Mm. off so I had counselling with the talking therapies, which helped me in some of my issues. Yeah. And it might have been that actually the journey was right for you. Yeah. You know, you might had EMDR been given on the straight off. That might have been too much. You don't, you don't know. No. You don't know. Um, it's a journey. Yes, yeah. and then trying CBT, mm. that wasn't quite right for yeah. me. I tried EMDR. Yeah. And that was, for me, yes. the thing that, that really transformed how I was feeling yeah so don't be afraid to try different things absolutely and work with different people absolutely yeah and now to your favorite question (laughs) (laughs) if you could go and have a conversation with your 15 year old self what would you say to her well, I've already done that in one of my <laughs> yes, EMDR you have sessions. To get back on your mat. Yes. <laughs> Travel through time. Travel on my magic carpet. Yeah. I I would be very positive about what the future holds for for me as a fifteen year old yeah. looking forward. Life isn't easy. No. no for anybody. Yeah. And I think again, there's a myth that that goes out there in the television programs we watch that it's that somehow if you're not happy completely Mm. happy that you're somehow failing and I would go back and say it's okay not to be okay it's in fact it's really important to not be okay to live a wholehearted fully embodied life that's has good and bad bits you know to live life is to live the time stuff too isn't it? it it is and I would say trust your emotions if you feel like you're going to mm. cry cry yeah that's the natural yeah. and yes. right thing to do mm. for that emotion and I think I would have saved myself a lot of angst because I was right. quite a, an anxious teenager you know things trying to get it right yeah definitely I did yeah. feel that there was an expectation that I had to live up to, which was to do well at school. Mm. I didn't do well at school, but that's okay. I went on, I got my degree later on. Life didn't end, did it? It yeah. didn't. I did my degree later as well. <laughs> I think that's important. I think you see quite a lot of school children and they, they um, like at GCSE or A-levels and they're like, if I don't get these, my life ends. And I'm like, it won't end, it's fine. It's it won't. much pressure, isn't that? You just them. need to regroup. Yes, you yeah. need to find that that next thing. This is what I want. So, mm-hmm. okay, that didn't work out for me. So I'm regrouping and I will find another way. Yeah, take the next step. You mentioned that before. I thought that was lovely. Just take the next step in front of yeah. the other Yeah, and one. sometimes they are baby ones. Yeah. And yeah. we, we hope to go in the right direction. But mm. if it turns out that that wasn't quite right, it, it, it was learning. Mm. Nothing was wasted. Oh, well, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I feel really energised and just found it very positive, you know, going through everything. You almost feel like you should feel a bit low or down, and but that's, you know, it just feels positive and energising and, you know, 
and hopeful that you know we have our brains are amazing things we have the ability to cope with huge amounts of difficulty in our life and you know and move forward and and embrace things so absolutely thank you so much nikki <laughs> thank you for having me on and um, yeah all the best with emdr yes thank you <laughs> yes power to emdr oh i should mention before we go if people i'll put links to everything that we've talked about if people wanted to kind of find out a bit more about you they can obviously do you want to do a plug for your oh, radio you. station yes and- so I do present on Radio Northwich and I do a Monday morning show called Coffee with Clifford. <laughs> Coffee with Clifford, fantastic. <laughs> so people can tune into that. And... We can and at the moment we're looking at environmental issues but later on in the year I am going to be doing a special focus on well-being, especially uh, mental health and um, doing a series of shows looking at different therapies so maybe we can do a swap I'm going to be having coffee with Nick Clifford yeah, I think coffee with Clifford <laughs> so everybody can look out for that I'll try and get it I can try and record it and get it on the podcast as well thank you <laughs> yeah and I do a rock show Fantastic. as I say I'm a bereaved mum that it has happened to me those mm. feelings are inside me I'm, yeah. I'm honest about that but I'm also a rock chick <laughs> Fantastic. you don't stop being you no so um mm. yeah so radio northwich www.radionorthwich.co.uk or you can look for me on social media you're on <clears> facebook <throat> aren't you facebook yeah nikki clifford n-i-c-k-y and also have a look at the grief recovery website yes, i'll link to that thank well. you yeah. yes yeah but thank you so much pleasure thank you Bye.